I'm Euro. I'm Chris. And this is Fork Bomb. March 9th, 2022, episode 36, Wine and Code Weavers. How are you, Chris? Pretty well. So we're getting drunk? Yes. We are getting drunk off of Wine and Code Weavers. What's your favorite kind of wine, Chris? The kind that lets me run Windows software on Linux or Unix operating systems. Okay, boring. Mine's Riesling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so a little bit about wine. Wine, uh, so wine is an, would you call this an acronym? Because well, uh, because it has the name well, hang on, in hang the on. acronym. You always like to jump right in without giving any intro or, or pretext. Like we have a whole ass interview. We're, after this, we we gotta we gotta make keep keep people just guessing. <laughs> yes, so um, let's let's uh, let's explain to you, to the listeners the format of this particular podcast episode. So what's happened is that we invited James Ramey from Code Weavers. He's actually the president of Code Weavers um, to our podcast, and and he agreed, which was really cool and really nice of him to do that. Um, and, uh, and what happened was, uh, he, he didn't have availability at the, at the time, um, to record the entire episode. So what we've done is we've split the episode into two. One part has the, uh, interview questions and everything. And the other part is going to have, um, well, the rest of our stuff. And so with the magic of magic of magic editing, um, we're going to make it all seamless and be in one episode. And Code Weavers is the company that is also the primary contributor to the wine project and even employs um, wine's primary maintainer. Um, oh, what the fuck is his name? Alexander Juilliard. Yeah, unfortunately, we weren't able to talk to him. He's apparently a, quite a busy guy. But uh, speaking with James uh, was quite fun, and he's actually very knowledgeable, so... Um, I'm okay with that. And Wine, as we stated earlier, is a piece of software that lets you run Windows software on Linux or Unix-like operating systems. That includes macOS, um, the BSDs, and it allows you to do that with a great level of success. Um, it doesn't fully run the entire Windows operating system, and it's not an emulator. In fact, Wine is a recursive acronym that stands for Wine is not an emulator. Instead, it's That's a... That's what uh, I was getting to. Yeah, yep. Instead, it's a, a source compatibility, and it's a compatibility, a compatibility layer that translates Windows system calls into Linux or Unix system calls. So, a um, little bit about wine too is, uh, so the name wine was actually provided by a person named David, oh man, I don't want to kill his last name, but I have to say his last name. So, Nimi? here we go. Niemi? I don't Nimi? know. Bueller? Bueller? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so, uh, yes, he actually, um, he provided... Uh, he was um, 
The name was provided by Name and Nimi in a naming discussion back in August of 1993. And uh, about half of Wine's source code is written by volunteers. I thought that was really interesting, but but not surprising, as it did come from the open source community. Um, and then another good chunk of the of the source code is written by uh, Code Weavers, which sells a supported version of Wine. So that's another uh, big factor, and that is called crossover. That's right. Yeah, it seems like they they've uh, they've actually gotten a bunch of different products and kind of meshed it together into crossover. Uh, and I, I think that well, in our interview question in our interview questions with James Ramey, you you actually went into one of the parts of of that that you used to purchase, I guess, back then, back in the early two thousands. Um, so anyway, we, we get into that in, a, in, a, in, in our later segment. Um, and, and, uh, for, for, uh, for anyone that hasn't actually, that has never seen wine functioning, it's pretty amazing. Uh, you can grab, um, a windows executable on a Linux or Unix desktop, double click on it. And the application just pops up in its own window running next to your Linux windows and, or uh, Linux applications, and most of the time it just works. A lot of the time it doesn't, but its compatibility continues to grow as time goes on, and it's really making huge strides when it comes to gaming. Yeah, that. Um, so I had tried Wine some time ago, and uh, and it was good. It was good. Uh, you know, no complaints. It did help me get some of these uh, uh, applications to run. I think at the time I was trying something like Office and things like that. However, recently I've tried it, and now with the advent of uh, DXVK, which I'll go into a little bit about, uh, which is, uh, well, I'll go into I'll go into it. Uh, DXVK is actually a set of replacement DLL files that translates from DirectX 11 to Vulkan, and Vulkan, of course, being an open API, which is cross-platform and it's used for 3D graphics and computing. So with that, I've been able to play triple a titles on linux using wine and running at near 60 frames per second um when i compare it still with with windows there's there's still a gap in 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 terms of frames and things like that but that gap is narrowing like it's definitely playable now and when we were trying out garuda linux it already came with wine pre-installed uh, the XVK was updated and everything. So all I had to do is just pretty much, um, load one of the windows games and it would just play it. And I just thought that was, that was just so awesome seeing, seeing the Linux operating system do exactly what I think has been missing, which is to play, uh, windows games. Cause you know, applications and stuff, you can find a Linux equivalent for it. And for the most part, they're pretty equivalent and you know what? If you can't, then that's what Wine is for. You can, for, for the most part, use it. Um, yes, you're right about the compatibility is not completely there, but the list is growing and it's growing uh, in large part thanks to Code Weavers, which um, you know, which which helps out to to expand uh, the Wine compatibility layer. And um, and and yeah, yeah, it's 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 that good. And I strongly. You know, if you're a gamer and and you want to try a different operating system just to try it, um, try Linux with Wine, and and I don't think that you're going to be that disappointed. Uh, sure, maybe some of the things might not work exactly right. 
you may have issues getting your game controller to work, although I've had really good success with the uh, Xbox wired game controllers. I've heard good compatibility on the Bluetooth uh, controllers as well. Um, but, you know, yeah, you may have some issues there. So it's not quite there, but man, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely gotten so much better. And it is with wine and, and things like a crossover, uh, by Code Weavers and, and another program called Lutris and Steam's Proton. They're definitely, uh, making uh, Linux, Linux and, 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 and wine. They're, they're definitely, um, and by, by Linux, I mean any, any, any distro. They they are they're they're definitely uh, pushing the envelope and, and so is Coweaver by the way they're 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 actually pioneers in this uh, in this regard that that you know we're gonna get there we're gonna get there soon um, and I can't wait uh, I'm so excited to just have Linux loaded uh, a Linux distro my favorite one so far being Pop um, and and uh, and my other favorite being Garuda and and then that's it no Windows and then I'll be like you Chris. <laughs> for for how a game it it is there um what few games i run on the pc um mm-hmm. and which even fewer windows games those are they run perfectly they run with every joystick i've thrown at them ps4 controller switch controller all bluetooth um and thanks to steam proton the the titles that wine can run has gone from the hundreds to the thousands and not just run kind of okay. No, they run flawlessly. So I want to go into a little bit about uh, a little bit about the technicals of wine. And by a little bit, I mean like a tiny bit. Um, yeah. This is more know, about the, uh, what wine does interview. Go ahead, Chris. What? Yeah. I was just agreeing with you. This is more about the interview than wine. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I just wanted to mention a little bit more about the technicals part, uh, the technical part. Um, but I mean, like a tiny bit. Uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go into it in great length. But you know, Wine does translate Windows system calls into POSIX uh, compliant system calls on the fly, uh, rather than an emulator. Wine is more of a compatibility layer, as you mentioned, and as we've mentioned in our conversation here. Um, you know, I, I just, I want to be clear to all our listeners that Wine is not emulating anything. So, um, you know, that's that, that right there. I mean, if you're going to have, um, there, there is no translating from, you know, from let's say one hardware compatibility layer to another one or anything like that. There's none of that. The, the, the hardware call, everything that that's not getting emulated. Um, so, so it is running native. You're just using windows system calls, uh, on top of Linux to run them. So, um, yeah, it's an important distinction that I, that I think uh, will help kind of clear up for all you all all, all the listeners who haven't uh, used Wine before, just to kind of understand, you know, what they're running actually. Uh, hey, uh, Wine provides. Go ahead, Chris. I was going to ask you, what is DXVK? Yeah, I mean, uh, so DXVK is it's that set of replacement DLLs that translates DirectX 11 to Vulkan. Vulkan was, of course, made by. Um, Actually, Vulcan started out as, I believe it was Mantle. I think that was the name of it before Vulcan. And it was uh, made by AMD. And, uh, you know, and, and that whole kind of stemmed from uh, OpenGL and, you know, um, you know, for the graphics library and things like that. Uh, then then they, they decided to merge and call it Vulcan. And, and now uh, DXVK 
Um, and, and since Vulkan, by the way, runs pretty well on Linux, it being open source and everything, and and uh, and so you know that's that's where that's where DXVK comes in, um, and and it's able to run DirectX 11. And by the, and and speaking of DirectX 11, it can also do, although it's not really using DXVK at this point, uh, DXVK uh, full DirectX 12 API compatibility can be achieved. Um, using VKD3D or VKD3D Proton, which is like the, um, it, it's almost like an equivalent. Um, I've seen it on the Git repositories where you can download it and use it, uh, run it on your, uh, on your own system, uh, to run DirectX 12. Uh, it doesn't run as well as full native DirectX 12, of course, but, uh, it does a decent job. Yeah. So, um, and, and, uh, and even Proton has different ver- variants of Proton. I think the one that came with, uh, Garuda, wasn't it? Um, it was, it had like, <laughs> it had an interesting name, something egg roll or something. <laughs> it was like Proton. Uh, anyway, it'll, it'll, it'll come up to me later, but, uh, yeah. So Proton has different variants. Um, for anybody that hasn't ran Proton before, if you basically, if you install, the steam client and you go under the settings, you can actually, uh, you can actually enable proton full proton, or actually you can, you can even add, uh, have it run experimental proton, which would be, uh, you know, the latest builds of proton, um, by just going into settings and, uh, and then changing it. It's a dropdown and you can just add, uh, it's a checkbox and then a pro, uh, and then a dropdown. So you have to enable it and then just click the dropdown and, uh, and, and enable proton. And, uh, and yeah, a lot of those games, which would normally have the icon that has the, has the windows icon, you can install those. It'll, it'll enable it to where you can install those that have the windows icon indicating that it's windows only. So, yeah. Um, Chris, you want to go into a little bit about what wine can do? Sure. It does quite a bit. It is able to load 64 bit or 32 bit. Um, or even 16-bit, Windows 9X, NT, 2000, XP, Vista 7, 8, and 10, and Windows 3.x programs and libraries on Unix-like operating systems. Um, it even it even lets you set which version of Windows you want it to behave like. Um, I want to run ski-free. It's... It, it, it's pretty neat when you, when you look at how it's working, because you get a separate folder that is your your c drive and each little wine folder is self-contained and even has its own windows registry but if you don't want to mess that one up you can do something else in some other folder so that makes it nice and portable Um, you can even run many windows viruses which if it does anything to your hard drive can even mess up your hard drive. Uh, for example, uh, ransomware could actually function on Linux with Wine. Oh, man. Um, hey, it, I wonder how often that happens. Probably quite a bit. Not sure. It could support games up um, up to DirectX 12. It, um, as we discussed, using DXVK, it is able to work with uh, sound devices through through uh, Linux's ALSA, OSS, Pulse Audio, um, Unix's Core Audio. No, wait. Core Audio is Mac OS, but pretty much whichever the operating system, the host operating system's audio framework is, 
it's able to use it. It's able to work with all of your human interface devices, keyboards, mice, joysticks. If Linux recognizes or Unix recognizes the joystick, chances are so will Wine. It's able to work with Wacom tablets via X input, and it can even handle video capture devices via um, Video for Linux 2 or V4L2. So that lets you use things like webcams and other types of video capture devices uh, on a Windows program using the webcam or video device that Linux sees as native. You know what this means, Chris? What's that? That means you could install NetMeeting. Yes. And use it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, So what... I've talked about what it can do. You want to talk about what it can't do? Well, one thing it can't do is can't run the full Windows operating system. Oh, man, this is stupid. No, I'm out. (laughs) Yeah, if your intention was to run Windows, the entire OS on top of Linux, then uh, you're probably better off using uh, an an emulator at that point. Kimu, I heard, is a pretty good one. Uh, Or Kemu? Uh Uh-oh, I'm going to get in trouble again. Um... (laughs) Let's see, what else? Well, it can't run Windows drivers. So if you wanted to install um, anything using a Windows driver, so let's say your Epson printer uh, doesn't have a, part, uh, a driver for Linux, you can't install the Windows drivers using one. Um, and, uh, well, it can't run full DOS. So uh, anybody out there that wanted to run DOS, full DOS, you know, 6.22 or anything like that, uh, you won't be able to with Wine. Uh, not sure why you would want to. There's uh, better programs out there for that. But, um, you know, actually DOS does run really well under emulation. Uh, I think DOSBox has gone a long way. Well, DOSBox, and, um, DOSBox X is where it's at now. DOSBox X, yep. 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 DOSBox X with that nice... Uh, did you ever get 3D Glide... Oh, boy, I'm going to go into a tangent here. Did you ever get 3D Glide working? No, I DOSBox just, X. just kind of forgot. I'll have to try again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, something it's else neat. that it can't do is while Wine does exist on, say, Linux or Unix or ARM, it can't run x86 Wine, or it can't run... It can't emulate another processor. So if you're running Wine on ARM, you can't run x86 binaries and vice versa. Right. Yep, you definitely want an emulator for that. Because wine is not an emulator. Not an emulator. Yep. Um, I have a little bit about wine, a tiny bit of history. I know we've been touching on it and we've been talking about the name and things like that. Um, so, uh, but I do have a formal thing on the history. It's uh, wine began in 1993 under Bob Amstrad to support Windows 3.1, 3.1. <laughs> software on Linux. Uh, early on leadership over in Wine's development passed to Alexander Juilliard, whom we talked about. Now he's uh, part of uh, Code Weavers, uh, who has managed the project ever since. He is now the CTO of Crossover. The CTO uh, of, Code, of Weavers. Code Weavers. Yep. Sorry? Yep. Uh, over the years, as the Windows API and applications have evolved to take advantage of new hardware and software, Wine has adapted to support new features and also port it to other OSs such as Mac OS. Uh, Wine steadily continued for 15 years before the program finally reached 
version 1.0 in 2008. And Wine continues to be developed to this day. So that's a really, really, really brief version of Wine. They actually have a pretty decent uh, uh, webpage, Wine HQ, where they go into full details on the, you know, the history and each step. And um, they may even have a timeline uh, on, on each milestone and things like that. So, uh, yeah, highly recommend uh, anybody that's interested in the Wine Project to check out Wine HQ. And they also have compatibility there as well, a compatibility list. Um, I believe the compatibility list is based off of either stars or, or, or gold and silver and things like that, um, where they have the various, uh, you know, um, platinum, I, I gold, think that's, silver, that's, bronze, I think, garbage. Right, bronze and things like that. And that would just depend on how compatible uh, a certain application is with wine. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about wine. Um, in our later segment, we do have that interview with uh, James Ramey, the president of Code Weaver. And, um, and yeah, we, we talked to him. It was really fun. Uh, and he's a really great guy, very knowledgeable and uh, seems very passionate on, on, you know, not just on, on, on his hobbies and things like that. Um, he's actually a fellow gamer and things like that. So that was really cool to hear from him. Um, I think on the day that we talked to him, the Steam, wasn't the Steam Deck had just launched? Something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Last week. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, so yeah, it was a really cool interview. Um, one thing that we didn't talk about during the interview was Crossover itself, which is their main product. Um, it's pretty neat when you use it because Wine, you can either double-click on an XE or run it from the command line and... On Linux, sure, it'll do some nice things like add the application to your your um, applications menu. But on macOS, it goes so far as to bundle it into its own macOS application. So you can launch a Windows application straight from your dock. Or um, it also makes managing separate Wine installations much easier with a concept it calls wine bottles. Get it? Get it? <laughs> Giggity. Giggity. And yeah, it's um for a lot of things it does make using wine a lot easier. Um that's why Coleevers is worth buying if you're less technically inclined. Um also money that Codeweavers Codeweavers makes gets put right back into the main open source wine project. So it's a really good um, I hate to use the word, but uh, uh, really good synergy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, highly recommended. I also like how they have their star ratings too on per product. So depending on the application you want to run, mostly games, depending on that, it'll actually have there the uh, star rating uh, for the most part. And it'll have little comments there here and there. For example, if something doesn't work, somebody... Uh, most likely would have commented already. I think I tried to get the Epic Game Store or something like that running, and they said the Game Store ran fine, but then the applications running inside the Game Store didn't run fine. Uh, so, you know, and that that's all in the comments as well. Uh, and it's as soon as you just try to load, uh, which, which, by the way, it's really easy because it basically downloads it for you. All you have to do is really just want to know what you want to download. So let's say the Epic Game Store or Steam, uh, Steam seems to be very popular because you, you know, if you run the Windows version of Steam, uh, you don't have to deal with anything else. Uh, Wine kind of handles and crossover handles a, a great deal. 
uh, in terms of compat- compatibility. So uh, you would just type in Steam and then it would just uh, download it for you. And it has all the comments there on what works and what doesn't. So and Steam actually has a really good compatibility on that, on that as well for for crossover. So that's just for running the Windows version though. Yeah. Do you, do you have anything else? That's it. And uh, now our interview with James Ramey of Code Weavers. Thanks, James, for joining us. James, um, James Ramey from Code Weavers. James, um, thank you for, so much for joining our podcast. Um, I, uh, I it was really unexpected. Um, we'll get to the story on on how we uh, how we met, sort of. Um, <laughs> but uh, could you please introduce yourself, James, and tell our audience, which is probably of one person. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, well, like who five. you are? Five. <laughs> Well, it, it, your moms are on, so I mean that's at least two. So I mean, <laughs> you, got, you got that going for you. <laughs> My dog, <laughs> your dog three. So I mean, we're growing all the time. You guys are becoming a sensation. That's uh, right. Well, first, first of all, thank you for inviting me. Uh, to, to give you a little bit of background on my on me and, and who I am, I've been with Code Weavers now for fifteen years. Code Weavers is the primary developer for the Wine Project. Wine uh, essentially runs Windows applications on the Mac and Linux platforms. So we've been doing this for a very, very, very long time, and mostly in, in the shadows um, under a rock in a cave uh, somewhere no one knew about. Uh, but over the last couple of years, uh, with the you know, premiere of the Proton project on Linux and importing more games to the Linux platform, uh, we've become kind of uh, famous uh, a little bit in that uh, we are doing a lot of work, a lot of very good work in um, making Windows compatibility for uh, Linux or for Windows compatibility for for games on Linux, so we're pretty excited about that. And um, today, um, of all days, um, Valve releases the Steam Deck. It is shipping commercially, and it's our software, our software that we've authored and, and worked with and partnered with, with with many others around the world in in running in running Windows games on on their device. So we're really really excited about that. It's it's uh, been a long time coming. Uh, I am on pins and needles hoping that my uh, the device that I ordered for myself personally um, arrives here any day. Um, but I did get uh, a unit here from the office that I can toil around and play around on. So, uh, but but that's a little bit about who I am. Um, I've been a technologist for for 25 years. Um, I come from the Apple IIc world. Uh, grew up playing video games. Got into technology because it was my passion and my love. And I'm working with companies um, around the world on, on helping them not only uh, utilize multi-platform technology, but also um, making it interesting and providing services for their customers. So uh, we do a lot of really, really crazy things, uh, which is which is kind of exciting. We tend to be on the very cusp and cutting edge of technology, which is also very exciting. And we get to see a lot of really, really cool things. And uh, that's uh, what keeps me going to work day after day. So. Congratulations on um, on the launch of the Steam Deck. It's uh, going to be great being able to play all those Windows games on a device that has the form factor of a Nintendo Switch. We're 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 thinking that this is going to be. I shouldn't say we. I am thinking that this is going to be a game changer for the technology industry and how people access and and play their games, where they play their games. I think this is the first step in a, in, in what I think is going to be a really interesting. Uh, journey over the next couple of years as we start seeing more and more people take Linux seriously as a platform for delivering content, in particular video games, 
as we start seeing more of these types of devices uh, appear, I don't think uh, Valve is going to be the only product on the market. Uh, but, you know, I guess, you know, um, duplicity is the uh, most sincerest form of flattery. I think we'll see other devices quickly jump into the market space as well. I do really think, though, that that what Valve has done is is very similar in a lot of ways to what Apple did with, with the iPod initially. They they came to bat with with a device that was so simple to use and had such a great user interface and it felt good in your hands even the big chunky ipods and and the content they made the content the center of the entire you know their 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 universe and built around that and i think valve is is taking that same playbook and applying it to something like the steam deck where They've got all this content, and now let's find really cool ways to to deliver it and provide it to end users on their terms, how they want it, where they want it, how they want to play with it, and put them in control of, of their games. And anytime you do that, um, I think you're going to have a, a smash success on your hands. I, I don't know how many billions of iPods were sold by Apple, but but um, the number is much greater than one. And I think the the... Steam Deck is kind of on that same trajectory. So yeah, it's it is it is something that that uh, we've been waiting for and 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 on pins and needles and been hush hush about and and haven't been able to talk about and we're just couldn't be more excited today with with what has happened and transpired. Very I think nice. between e- between ease of use and content, that is that is king. And I think if you master both of those, uh, opportunities are endless. So and then and then of course you'll you'll have the other. Uh, other people competing on again ease of use and content, but uh, but yeah, that's uh, those those are, those are two main key factors, and you guys are right in the center of it, right in the center of it all. Um, so so really, I'm <laughs> uh, it's it's a great time, I'm sure, to be code weavers. Um, I, I just wonder how many of those things are, you know, it's like how angry could you possibly get Microsoft from people switching over from Windows to Linux, and you guys are almost at the forefront of well. Yeah, we could play games on Linux. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, it's 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 interesting because you know, as, as Valve kind of pivoted in this direction, um, Microsoft pivoted and kind of doubled down on their Xbox. I mean, the the latest Xbox is spectacular. I mean, yeah, it just I agree. it just absolutely is incredible, mm-hmm. and they have um, built a lot of content, exclusive content for their Xbox, kind of around around their device. So. Well, I think gaming will always be important to Microsoft and, and to Windows. They've really kind of channeled a lot of that over to the Xbox. And and what I think they'll do next, and, and you'll probably see more of this, is making that Xbox a service that's available to all Windows users. So instead of worrying about things running on Windows, they're going to worry about things running in the Xbox and then delivering that content, whether it's streaming, remote, whether it's um, you know some sort of direct connectivity, They'll, I think they're going to start shifting their strategy more that way. So what ends up happening is, is Valve and Microsoft really don't play in the same sandbox. I mean, they're all playing with games and they want to make games work. But um, how they deliver that and the experiences they provided, I think, are going to be a little bit different. And that's what will provide some separation. And you can't easily beat the 800-pound gorilla in the room. I mean, Microsoft is is fairly crafty and has taken on all challengers for the last thirty five years. So I don't I don't see them going away anytime soon because Valve came out with a really spectacular gaming device. Uh, much the same way they didn't they didn't they didn't bat an eye when Nintendo sold eighty million switches. So 
Um, you know that that remains to be seen, but but I think I think there's enough enough space in in the sandbox for everybody to play nice, and and that's kind of what I what I think we're going to start to see happen. Although, I will share this is that is that our our CEO, you know he's he's a much much smarter man than I am, uh, but he sees that this type of device, the Steam Deck, could be the 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 start of the end of Windows. And what he means by that is is that if everything kind of moves to the cloud and if everything kind of moves to its own devices, the need for your PC gaming laptop or your PC, you know, rig becomes less and less critical. And at what point does that tipping point happen where I can just do without? And if I can do without, then why would I do it at all? And those types of tipping points have, you know, drastic ramifications. And, you know, we're moving into a world that's more cloud-based. We're moving into a world that's more, more service oriented. So it may be someday that that um, Windows will be this type of service that you just utilize uh, up in the cloud like everything else. So yeah, in the in the high level scheme of things, let's call it the high level pipeline. Uh, you know, typically games are made for for Windows using their APIs. Um, so it'll be made for Windows, and then uh, afterwards, and who knows? Maybe you're absolutely right. You know, it could be just be be made for Xbox. Actually, you know, it'd be great is I I really want to start just buying games in general without having to worry about whether it's for xbox or for windows and i could just run it on either or and it doesn't really matter um which i think is coming with game pass and things like that you could you could already do that but yeah just buying physical even even if you buy physical copy or or, or just like a digital code it'd be really cool if it worked in both and then afterwards um you know afterwards in that high level pipeline then it goes over to okay it was built for windows but now we can also run it everywhere else you know and to to wine's credit to you code weaver's credit and everything um it's not it's it would be the games would be sure it'd be designed on a windows platform but it'd be platform agnostic at that point because you guys have done a really excellent job and it's just kind of propagated everywhere so you, you're gonna it there's gonna be a point where it doesn't really matter what system you're gonna you're gonna want to run it on it's okay as long as you buy the game it runs anywhere you want, and I think that's the ultimate goal here. And uh, and and I think you guys are helping achieve that. Well, it, and it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because there's there's a couple of different ways to kind of skin that. Um, you can you can obviously make everything platform agnostic, but that's really going to require an open source underpinning. So it really is going to require open source technology to make that sure. happen. So everybody can kind of plug their their pieces into what you'd consider the. The, the the main channel and then deliver content that way or or it's or it's going to take um or or, or you're going to see where it, things get more kind of deviated in that windows stuff will be just windows stuff whether it's delivered the via the web or whether it's delivered via pcs or how, or how and everything else is going to be kind of that agnostic i don't care what i what i'm playing on um because obviously the ownership of the game is, you know, the, that's the money. That's first and foremost. But I, I think what, what Valve is doing right is they don't care where you play the game. You play it on your Linux box, play it on your Mac, play it on your Windows PC, play it on a Steam Deck, you know, you know, project it, stream it to your TV set, as long as you're playing the game. And that's that availability feature that, that really I think is, is going to, to help the Steam Deck gained popularity rather quickly. It was one of the features that made the Switch a very 
you know, interesting technology that I can play it on my device. I can download electronic content. I can put in disc. I can project it to my TV set. I can do a lot of things with it. That type of portability is what really, I, I, th I think, is, is really essential to this type of service. And I think that's one of the critical factors that a lot of people kind of overlook is that, yeah, having my content is great and having a cool device is great, but playing my content where I want, how I want, when I want, is, is really that, that, that control piece that, that Steve Jobs capitalized on the early 2000s. And I think, um, I, th I think, I hope that Valve is going to capitalize on going forward. Yep, yep, definitely. Um, exciting may, day for sure. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. Um, so before this interview, we've already talked about what Wine and Wine is and what Code Weavers and Code Weavers is and does mm -hmm. the... They um, are the main contributor to the wine project. They, um, I mean, you all keep wine living and functional and relevant. But I think what a lot of people don't realize, and this is for the non-technical people, our, our moms listening, um, um, is that uh, more of a question, part part statement. Um, so, co-weavers did you all implement steam proton or did you create steam proton it it was it was kind of a a, a little bit of a combination of, of both the the real foundation of our technology was to make windows games work in linux that that's really where where we kind of you know started it was a focal point it was it was something that was exciting and and we kind of built from there so the ability to run Windows applications on non-Windows platform is really the heart of, of, of Wine. It's really the heart of, of, of Crossover. From there, um, the technology has been available for, for 25 years. Um, and then it kind of culminated into something that, that um, grew into the, the Proton DB project. So we essentially took, we essentially took, crossover for Linux and expanded that out into, well, wine for Linux, expanded that out into supporting um, a, a broader platform and then really focused on patches to support more and more and more games. So um, it, it's hard to say that, that Codeweavers created that, um, but we were definitely, you know, our hands in the muck of it and, and helped shape it into what it is today. Um, and and then help that grow. Um, and, and credit to to Valve and to others out there that have spent a lot of money and energy funding that effort um, because it's taken a lot of a lot of developers, a lot of development hours to get the product to the point where it is as good as it is today. Um, and and kudos for them for supporting open source uh, software yeah. and 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 not wanting to be the type of company that owned. Uh, everything, but being the type of company that really wanted to make this available and open source, and utilize that platform and that technology to make to make this project as great as it is. Um, so you know you have to give a lot of credit to a lot of people for for where Proton is today and and how it came about. And I don't think you know any one any one entity out there can take ownership of it. Um, I think everybody is, is basically got a, a real hand in the success of, of making it as great as it's been. Nice. And, um, 
whether that's us or whether that's Valve or whether that's a multitude of other developers around the world that have contributed, whether that's the Vulcan guys, whether that's the XVK guys, whether that's um, a lot of other companies that have, have built some of the bits and bytes to make things happen, um, even the game developers, developers themselves to being as receptive as they have been into making their games run in ProTime. It's, it's been a, a truly a team effort um, and a variety of people and a, and a multitude of people have, have really come together to make that happen. That technology is such a, a tipping point for gaming on Linux. Um, I've been using Linux for going on decades now, since 2002, 2003. Wow. And uh, something that um, I've always... The biggest missing piece for me has been gaming. I never gamed that much mm-hmm. on a PC, thankfully. But now, the the little Steam box that I have hooked up to my TV, it's playing um, Ikaruga and other Windows-only titles. And it's just doing it effortlessly. I'm, I'm not thinking about it. I'm not going through all these weird gyrations, download, uh, downloading wine tricks or using something like Play on Linux or Lutris. It's just play my game. Uh, it's it's what I've been wanting for a long, long time, and um, Hero, there's the, there's people like you that um, that that uh, play with Linux, but are still primarily in the Windows realm, still game a lot. And you were saying once you switched to um, to to Garuda, Garuda. really playing with it, that you've been gaming more and more and more right. on Linux thanks to I this have. technology. Yep, and then, and you know what? And it's the, the the testament of all these developers, just like you mentioned, James. Um, it, they've made it really easy to use. As a matter of fact, I, I almost want to say it's easier to to start just gaming right away on one of your, uh, one of these platforms. Um, you know, of course, you could run Steam anywhere, including Windows. But I'm just saying, like, it's it's also very easy to run it. On Linux and of course Mac as well. I can't wait to see the compatibility layer um, get increased on the Mac side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of those, there's a lot of Windows only games, and you go into Steam and they'll, they'll they'll actually say on your Mac it'll actually say it's for Windows. So I can't wait to see that to see that get expanded. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, definitely ease of use. Uh, I, I I totally um <laughs> I, I'm really excited for for today. And, um, and I think to that point, you know, Valve has made a very concerted effort specifically to that point of ease of use. Can we make it easier? Can we make it um, faster? Can we make the experience better for the end user? And when you do that, um, a lot of really great things happen, your experience being one of them. But a lot of people will say that, that it, 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 it was a lot more fun than I expected or it was a lot less headache than I was expected uh, because they have this perception that Linux is very difficult to use and they immediately jump into a Linux box and, and open up a Proton or game running in Proton and it just works. And their experience and their perception has changed 180 degrees because it's like, I never expected that. That's one of the things that I believe Valve has really strongly kind of built into this experience was this positive feeling that, wow, this is, this, this is really cool, but it's also really fun. And, oh, it's also really easy. Like, they, they've made that kind of all kind of, you know, quintessential to the end user so that now when you open that up, it's like, oh, this, this just runs. It, ju- it just feels right. It just is smooth. Um, 
So they really, they really pulled that through the entire experience. And it, it, and it, I mean, I love it. I, I sure. personally, I personally have had a lot of, uh, a lot of fun playing, playing games in, in Proton and I uh, playing games on Linux. And, and it's because of that. It's, I don't miss a beat. I don't miss having to run something in Windows. So how so many of those, those changes, um, how many of those changes make it uh, back into mainstream wine? Uh, do, do running games on stock wine or just through, um, just through uh, crossover? Do, um, well, does that's, does, that's a, does that become easier question. to run games? Well, great question. Um, everything that's done for Proton uh, in wine is, is submitted to the wine project. So everything is essentially upstream. Not everything is accepted. Um, so you'll see uh, some patches that have made games work for Proton and wine staging, for example. You'll see some things in wine. Um, some things will make its way to crossover. Um, but the, the spirit of what our developers are doing is to make sure that everything is upstream. So while not everything makes it, because some of the hacks just aren't good enough or stable enough um, for wine or for crossover, um, they are all made available to end users. So they, it's, it's nothing proprietary, um, but it's also nothing uh, with the intent of, of making it um, hard or difficult to access. So I, ideally everything gets, gets put into wine and eventually wine becomes that much better as a result. And, and a lot of the patches in Proton do make their way into wine. So that, that does happen, um, but you would not say that the experience between Proton and Wine is a one-to-one -one experience. Um, mm. I think Proton's optimized better for games. I think Proton has more patches specific to games. Um, Proton's willing to to you know take in some hacks and make hacks work better for games than than Wine is, and that's the beauty of open source. That as long as that code is all made available, you can kind of twist it and make it work however you want. Very cool. All right. Um, I can jump into some fun questions. <laughs> let's have fun questions. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, not not that the other stuff wasn't important or anything like that. Um, I'm just labeling this as fun questions. <laughs> um, so um, first one, uh, what brought you to Code Weavers, James? You know, it's, it's a crazy story. Um, I've been in technology um, in a suit and tie position for a number of years selling technology to, to banks and then selling internet security solutions to fast food restaurants um, as they were evolving into taking credit cards back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And one of my customers happened to be um, Wendy Thomas, the, the Wendy of Wendy's um, at, in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, and, and I had been doing that for years and, and I loved that. And, I, and during the process, I'd gotten my master's degree and my wife and I went shopping at the Mall of America in Bloomington, Minnesota. And outside the Mall of America, they had this little kiosk. Um, and on it were, you know, jobs. And I just, while my wife was taking my daughter, my infant daughter to the bathroom, I just kind of scrolled on there and I saw a job about um, making video games work on Mac OS. And I thought to myself, that is some cool stuff right there. Um, so lo and behold, I, I submitted my resume and, uh, became the vice president of sales for Codeweaver some 15, uh, almost 15 years ago, and then kind of evolved my way and worked my way into becoming president of the company. But yeah, it was just kind of a fluke. Um, but what got me was the whole video games thing. Like 
the 10 year old version of me thought to himself, if I can get paid to play video games on a daily basis, oh, I'm taking that job. I am hands down taking that job. That was like my dream job when I was 10. I, uh, I grew Absolutely. up with the Atari and the Nintendo NES, and I, if I could play video games, I'm playing video games. And um, I didn't realize there was a lot more work to it than just playing video games. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I did. Uh, I, they got me at video game, and and I've been uh, been part of that part of that whole movement ever since. And had the chance to watch the company, you know, grow from a small company of 20, 21 people until now we've got just over 60 people today. So we've you know, more than tripled in size. Um, we've taken on a number of large projects. We've become instrumental into a lot of a lot of different companies around the world. Um, so it's it's been a really really fun ride. But yeah, they got me at video games, and I was I was uh, stuck ever since. So, and 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 now quite broken from working anywhere else because nowhere else is going to offer me more video games than I get right now. So <laughs> as long as I got as long as I got that, I'm I'm in good shape. Yeah, the, it's really cool to. That's a really cool story, by the way, and it, it's it's a uh, it's cool to know that that the the you know the place that you chose is actually I almost want to say kind of making history in that you know you're helping in the future I, I believe it, video games will be some sort of agnostic you know it'll be like it won't be platform uh, um, dependent and and you guys are on the forefront so it's it's like all the stuff that you're doing and your company is doing and everything it's just so impactful so so that's that's great you know what I I have a similar uh, although not as cool and, uh, and, and my job has nothing to do with video games, but, uh, but the reason I chose my degree, um, was because they had me at video games as well. They said you could design video games with your degree and everything. And that was exactly why I went in there. And then I, you know, started making voiceovers for mods for never winter nights and things like that in college. So, uh, you know, that, but that's, that's how they had me was, was that. And that's actually how I met Chris. We, we, we were, uh, we're both in the same degree program, you know, and, uh, yeah, just a, a bunch of people and they're fun, fun people to, uh, that I think I'll have the same passion. So yeah, we're we're speaking the same lingo. We we are, and you know, it really does come down to that passion. If you've got a passion for video games, it, it's just it it's it's just one of those things you just can't let go of. So instead of you know sneaking off during a regular workday and playing video games, I work for a company that supports video games. That's actually part of my job and what I do. So um, I can openly play video games uh, almost as much as I can possibly tolerate. Um, so it, it's, it's been a pretty good, pretty good 15 years. Um, so I think I already know the answer to this one based on your profile on Coweaver site. The question was, do you still run Windows on your home PC? But according to the site, you run Manjaro. I run Manjaro. Uh, I do have a, a Windows PC, uh, which I've had for oh, probably 12 years now. Um, we run a lot of Mac OS at the house too. So we, we do have a, a pretty broad um, pretty broad, broad spectrum of platforms that we're running on. Uh, so we, we get to see a lot of different things, which is one of the things that makes crossover kind of useful for me is that I can take my Windows applications and I can run them on Mac OS and Linux with, with very little trouble or issue. So um, so yeah, but but yeah, it's it I, I definitely have moved past the single just only running Windows into primarily Linux, primarily Mac OS and and um and and, and a lot of cloud. There's there is a, a big portion of cloud now in my diet too. Um, you know, as our, our company as we were remote for the last couple of years because of COVID, uh, has been doing a lot of things online and that's all cloud based. So 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful. I'm, I'm kind of the, the living uh, analogy of, of what it means to be a, a multi-platform person in, in today's technology world um, because I, I kind of live on, on all these different devices and all these different platforms. Got it, got it. So I got one for you, James. Um, sure. Would you happen to know, and I know that working remote and everything might be difficult, but perhaps when you were in the office, would you happen to know what what the favorite flavor of Linux uh, was at, at Code Weavers? You know, what the favorite distribution, I guess. Uh, a lot of the guys, of choice. The, amongst our developers, that distribution of choice is Debian. Um, amongst a lot of our, our uh, QA and admin people, they run a lot of Ubuntu. Um, and a lot of our more gaming-orientated um, employees are running Arch. So we've got, we've got three or four three or four flavors that you see, but our CEO or CTO, um, a lot of our developers are running uh, Debian. They just are, I want, I'm going to say old school that way, uh, but they're old school that way. And, and, uh, and anybody who's running high end games, um, especially wants to run a lot of gaming they they tend to be running a lot of Arch Linux. So we, we see a lot of that too. Doesn't the mm-hmm. Valve Steam Deck run on Arch? It does. It does. So, wow. yeah. Yeah, it's, they, that's not as coincidence as as as, uh, as you'd think, but yeah, they they uh, they play around with it quite a bit, and um, and obviously most of our guys now are you know they have had the Steam Deck now in their hands and you know Steam OS too, so um, we're we're doing a lot of joint gaming uh, online and uh, enjoying that as well too. So very cool. You really want this one? Oh, I was listening to music going on in the background. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my, sure. My, it's my daughter playing trumpet. Uh, uh, no worries, it's fine. I used to be a trumpet player myself, so I I could tell that that sounds like uh, someone's uh, <laughs> uh, someone's <laughs> offspring uh, practicing. She sounds really good. Yep, she's she's quite good. Great. She's That's quite great. good. Thank you. Yeah, I just had my daughter. Um, I had a one-year-old daughter, yeah, you know, and she she was crying, and I'm like, oh boy, I hope it doesn't make it into the podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we'll see. Um, all right. Well, um, I got one here for you. So it, it yeah. seems like it seems like in recent years, when wine has increased its compatibility by leaps and bounds, especially with you know the respect to gaming. What would you attribute that to? A, a lot of a lot of it has been. Um, you know, a lot of participation from companies like Valve that have been have been willing to to fund a lot of work. So you see a lot of a lot of that effort going into um, making wine better uh, through Proton, but but definitely making wine better. You're you're also seeing um, a, a lot of growth in Linux, and that is becoming more. I don't want to say important because I don't think we're quite at the important stage, but it, it's definitely not something a lot of people will ignore. So you're actually starting to see game developers kind of tweak their software a bit so it runs better on Linux, if not natively, then with the use of Proton, and if not with the use of Proton, they're, they're at least taking account in, of that. So you're seeing them use more standardized API calls, I think, than you would have maybe previously. And the next thing is a little sad, but I think you're seeing fewer and fewer gaming studios. I think there's a lot more consolidation in the gaming industry now. So what that does is you see a lot of the, the same API calls amongst video games. Um, and once you support a certain set of calls once, 
the second time, the third time, the fourth time, they basically all work right out of the box. So uh, there's been a number of games where, where they've just worked, and then each iteration of that game um, has worked as well. So, you know, between the consolidation, um, the, the corporate participation, and, and just the awareness of, 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 uh, of Wine and Linux, um, you're seeing a lot of things work and work well, work really well. I mean, very comparable to how things run in Windows. Um, so, and I, I think that's a trend that we'll continue to see uh, in the future as, as, especially as these devices like the Steam Deck come out. I mean, if I'm a game developer and I don't have a, a game that's on the Steam Deck, I'm working right now to make that happen because I'm not letting that go. I mean, there's a reason that Valve sold out of the Steam Deck as quickly as it did. There is a huge market for that not just an initial market, but I think a long-term market. So I definitely want to participate in that. So I, I think we'll see more and more people, if not build native games, start building games that are at least compatible with Proton so that they can get on the Steam Deck. That's good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I wanted to ask a little bit um, outside of, of Crossover and Wine. Uh, mm-hmm. It looks like... Um, Coweavers also offers two other services, uh, Port Jump and Exec Mode, and those are uh, pretty new to me as um, I haven't really looked much outside of Crossover myself. It looks like Port Jump is a service for um, assisting others with porting their applications to multiple platforms? Yes. So Port Jump, if, if you really boil it down, is, is our company uh, assisting a software developer in making their their game or application run on, on the Mac OS, Linux, or Chrome OS platform using Wine as our core technology. So we can either help get them in the right direction, but but typically, because Wine is as complicated as it is, um, typically have to help port their application or port their application for them to these platforms. So for a lot of Windows developers that want to get onto the Mac OS platform, we can help with that. For, for people that want to get on the Steam Deck, we can help with that. For people that just want to get their product out in Linux, because maybe they want to be able to run it in the cloud and running it on a Linux backend is a lot less expensive than running it on a Windows backend, we can help with those things. So we've got that service out there, and, and we probably have, have ported, I would guess, somewhere over 500 different applications and games. Um, oh, wow. To, to the Mac OS and, and even to the Linux platform and even a couple to the Chrome OS platform uh, as Chrome uh, incorporated more of a, a Linux uh, virtual um, we were able to run in that actually quite well. Um, so we were able to do that. And exec mode um, is essentially working with companies around the world on solving some of their harder technology problems. So if your company and you're struggling with something like you don't know how to make something work or you don't know how to integrate two pieces of technology together, that's something that that our our guys can help with, um, whether it involves wine or not. Um, so we've done a lot of um, uh, backend work for databases. We've done a lot of backend work for drivers. We've done a lot of uh, help with with essentially making things kind of work better together. Writing a lot of things to the Linux kernel. Um, we've done those types of projects for companies and. Um, Part of that's because, like I said earlier, my CEO is is probably the smartest man I've ever met, um, and he loves really, really challenging technology problems. So we just thought, well, what better way to to kind of feed that that uh, that need than to go out there and actually look for those types of problems? And we've helped a handful of companies so far in in kind of 
solving their real hard technology issues. Um, and it's it's something that our entire team of developers kind of enjoys doing. Once you once you program in Wine, pretty much the impossible is easier than programming yeah. in Wine. So anything from <laughs> Wine is 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 somewhat easy for these guys to do. So they they work their their magic and they and they they make make things happen. So um, they're 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 quite good actually. So we're we're pretty blessed to have them on our staff. Uh, I, I wanted to after you yeah, get sorry. Yeah, I, I wanted to. I'm I'm so glad that you went through the exec mode. Um, you know, like explained it because I went to the website, I watched the video with Robin Hood and you know, the whole the whole pitch. And I'm like, what the hell is exec mode? <laughs> yeah, we we have to refine our pitch a little bit, I think, um, so people kind of better understand it. But it's it's really smart people helping to solve really hard problems is is kind of what what it, it comes down to. And and again, um, there are a lot of really you know it seems like the only problems left in technology are really really hard problems. Um, but but there's not everybody's able to to really take that on and deal with it. And that's that's. One of the things, one of the advantages of being part of a virtualization platform is that we see so much cutting edge in, in technology and, and how it's impacted a variety of different applications um, that, that we're able to kind of pull a lot of that knowledge and apply that to specific problems with great success. So, I got to say, um, most times whenever I look at a company's branding, I'm usually just groaning, rolling my eyes or trying to keep from, from throwing up a little bit. But looking at uh, looking at what, what CoWeavers has done, it's it's reminiscent of um, of that late nineties, early two thousand edge. Uh, looking at the uh, the oh, that website, pages says, we're yeah. we're damn good, all caps. At sorry yeah, yeah. solving awesome. hard problems. I love it. It's like that whole it, we're, <laughs> Yeah, what Sega does, what Nintendo don't, you know, it's got that edge, you know. <laughs> It, it, it well it was all it was all kind of built deliberately that way around around um, our marketing director Ms. Jana Schmidt she she really was was focused on what what is it that we claim to be and it and it really turns out that we claim to be kind of rebellious um, we're not doing normal things in a normal way we're we're oftentimes taking the hard road and and trying to incorporate that um, that feel into to who we are was was where the theme came from for for our website so she. She deserves all the credit for for really putting that out there, um, and and it, there's a little bit of shock and awe when you see it the first couple of times, like ooh, I don't know. And when you interact with us, you're like, oh yeah, I get it. That's that's kind of who you guys are. You guys are kind of like that. You guys are, are you know in your face, kind of you know really you know um, not shy about your technology background, and and um, and it becomes kind of kind of evident that that was a good fit for us. Well, please give her our compliments. I will do that. Yeah, do it's, that. it's great. I absolutely love it. Definitely different. If um, if y'all have a, if you all have migrated somewhere around five hundred at five hundred applications through the port jump project, yep. um, I'm curious why only two companies are listed under the port jump clients. Well, because a lot of times there's NDAs in place um, where people don't want us really disclosing that. So they want that to be their Mac version. We're happy to do that. And and sometimes, you know, things, especially with Mac OS, have evolved over the years where um, I don't think it's necessarily the same bargain and value it was to have an application running the Mac OS as it was, you know, three, five, seven years ago. Some of the changes with the only 64-bit support with using metal as the back end for the, the graphics 
some of those things have really taken some of the older applications that would have had a better value proposition and have kind of turned them off to, to looking at other options. And a lot of those people have kind of gone to the cloud and have tried to run their things through the cloud or, or have bypassed macOS altogether and have looked to go to Linux. So uh, we're, we're definitely seeing a lot of changes in, in the marketplace in that regard. Um, so you, you'll start to see some changes to that effect. But yeah, um, we, we, yeah, you'd be amazed at a lot of the companies that are utilizing our technology in the back end and, and aren't, aren't, aren't necessarily hiding it, but aren't necessarily advertising it either. Nice. Um, let's, uh, let's do some, uh, some, some of the questions that we typically ask our guests. Um, so, uh, I want to start off with one. Uh, what was your first mm -hmm. computer? Apple IIc. Uh, my mom okay. bought it for me. I was in ninth grade. So I had to be about 14 years of age and I had gotten, um, uh, I, I went over to a friend's house and, um, he had one. And I, and I think that's probably all I talked about for six months was that computer. And my mom, I think, just said, oh, for the love, I just need to get him something to kind of get him off my back. So she, she ended up getting me that. And I still have it to this day. It does, doesn't run like it used to, but um, I still have it to this day. Wow. And uh, that was, that was, that was, the, that was the, the entry drug for me. That was... I had gotten a computer and I was playing lemonade stand and I was playing Ultima four and I was playing Oregon trail <laughs> and um, I was doing, you know, word processing things. And at my school, there were no computers. So uh, everybody was still doing things on typewriters. So when computers came in a year or two years later, I was basically the IT guy for the last couple of years of my high school because I was the only one that had been on the computers, was able to connect printers, was able to do some of the things that, that today we take for granted, but mm -hmm. you know, in 1988, 89 was a really hard challenge and problem. Right. You, you really had to almost be a magician to get things mm -hmm. to actually talk to one another. Um, and, and I just kind of grew from there. I just uh, got into doing PCs in college and then I uh, got my first laptop with my first job. And, and I just, I, I really haven't been without one since. Now, the positive is I love technology, so I, it works great for me. The downside is, is I'm never without my laptop wherever I go, even on vacation. So I'm 100% totally accessible, which as I'm getting older, that's not nearly as cool as it was back mm -hmm. when I was in my you know late 20s, early 30s. Now it's kind of a burden. Um, so my, my wife and I are, are making decisions about how accessible I'm going to be in the future. So um, we're, we're, uh, we're taking that to heart that uh, having that technology with me all the time isn't always a great thing especially when you're dealing with stress levels and high blood pressure and all those other things. So, um, but, but yeah, I, I started off um, back, you know, 36 years ago and I just, I don't think I've been without a computer since. I can, I can definitely attest to the uh, always being available. And actually you were available because <laughs> that's how we kind of met. I had a customer yeah. service question or something about, I don't know, using a, it was like using a, a Black Friday code or something, <laughs> and then, yeah. and then it, it, when I saw your your uh, your signature in the bottom, I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> I I to this day still answer uh, sales tickets because I want to know what what our customers are dealing with. So um, I do. I'm not the only person to answer sales tickets anymore. I was for a sure. number of years. Um, but I, I do take a, a large sample of tickets because I want to know what, what our customers are doing with our software. I want to know what the headaches and problems that they're having are. 
I, I want to know, you know, essentially what their pain points are so that, you know, we can build a better product or a better process to facilitate, you know, less headaches in the future. So I, I definitely keep myself engaged in, in the, and on the pulse of what's going on with our customers. So, yeah, when you came back to me and said that you you're running a, a podcast, Fork Farm, I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> I, I was a little, was a little shocked. So uh, but but uh but no, it uh, it was it was a chance meeting. But but not you know, I would say at least half the time now, if you send a ticket, and you'll probably see my signature on the response. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I I thought I'd just throw that out there. I'm like, well, here <laughs> it's worth a shot. <laughs> I just sent it out, and uh, and here we are talking. So that's great. Yeah. Um, Chris, do you want to? Sure. Um, something out there. So you've clearly been exposed to a fair number uh, of operating systems, Linux, Windows, Mac OS, early operating systems, Apple IIc. Um, ha- have you ever used any um, have you ever used any more obscure OSs like uh, like React OS or Haiku or OS2 warp? I, I've used OS2, uh, Solaris. I've used a, I've used a couple um, I, I, I would say more obscure. Um, I think everybody's kind of played around with Raspberry Pi. Um, but I, 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 you know, I, I quickly fell out of love with that. I, I, when you get out into that uh, adventurous part of technology where you're really kind of being a trailblazer, I'm, I'm not necessarily great with that. I'm, I like to do what I like to do with technology and computers, but they're pretty well-trodden paths. So I'm not reinventing the wheel and trying to do crazy things. And I think the guys are out there with OS too. I think they were doing a lot of crazy things. They, they, they were, they were playing around with a lot of different things and, and you, you can see it and things make sense and you can see where they have the kind of mindset of, I want to do things better. Um, but then it's like, ah, just, it's, it's a little too left of normal for me and I just wasn't a good fit, but yeah, I, it part, part of what we do is, is we do, we do, uh, we do play around a, a lot with different types of technology and it comes in all different shapes and forms. We're, we're seeing things having standardized more over the last probably five or six years, but we would get people that were essentially running in technology from the late 1990s and they were trying to carry that over, you know, 2013, 2014, trying to make things work. And at some point you have to give up the ghost. You have to move on. You have to migrate. You have to, you have to essentially, you know, adapt to where the market is. And while our technology is, is brilliant in a number of ways, it, you know, it, it just, it, it can't make up for, for, you know, technology that was, um, I don't say poorly written in the nineties, but, but if the program wasn't great in the nineties running on windows, it's not going to be great in the two thousands running in crossover. It just doesn't work that way. So uh, we were trying to help a lot of developers kind of make that switch into the more modern era, um, trying to be more open with their platform choices and, and trying to do things that are maybe more broadly compatible than, than what they had initially set out to do. But, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a weird world sometimes. <laughs> That gives us a, a slight segue into what's the toughest game uh, that um, what is the toughest game do you think to run on crossover or under wine in general or in Proton? Well, you know, um, for a long time, one of the big wins that we had gotten at Code Weavers was we had ported World of Tanks um, from Wargaming. Great, great title. Um, a very 
complicated title, not not an easy title because there's there's a lot of moving parts. There's there's a launcher. There's there's their different versions of the games and things like that. And and supporting that was was really a high watermark for our company. We had worked really hard and built a lot of technology in wine and in crossover around that title specifically to make it work. So we were we were really um, I was pot committed, but we were really focused on providing as good an experience um, for that title specifically. And that, and that took a long time to, to do. Um, we had a, we had a, a big effort on our end to, to make that happen. So that, that always strikes me immediately when someone asks me a question like that, well, what's the hardest game? It's, well, that, that was probably one of the harder games. Now there, there have been a lot of other games um, that we've tried to support, that, that we just have never gotten support for that we keep grinding on on a, on a regular basis. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's, there's ones that are harder in that they've never delivered any results, but, um, but harder in terms of we'll never know if they do deliver any results. Um, so we, we do have uh, a lot of our guys have pet projects right, right now, probably the hardest thing we're working on is, is really seeing how we can make an X86 emulator, run on an ARM chipset. So kind of give you some, some, you know, context, you know, we made 32 bit applications working the 64 bit Mac OS. Okay. Check mark. We got that one. Uh, we made uh, an X86 uh, emulator work on the M1 chipset from Apple with the help of Rosetta two check. We got that. We got that working. Now can we make an X86 emulator run on a straight arm processor, and what does that look like? Truth be told, we've got it to work a little bit, uh, but the performance is horrible right now because the, the 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 amount of processing that it takes to actually do the x86 emulation on top of the actual application emulation is just the the the, the time is is in seconds, not even milliseconds, is in seconds. So it's just not it's not a great result, but we're getting closer. And we're cutting down some time here and there, and we're working to make that more accessible. So we see the next big jump in technology being to go from potentially just Intel chips into the ARM-based chips. And not just ARM, like Apple is running with the one processor, but, but straight ARM. And, and what does that look like, and how is that possible? And then we start the whole process of supporting all the games and everything we've done mm -hmm. up to now and move that over to an entirely different platform um, from the standpoint of the chipset. So that's probably the next biggest challenge. And, you know, I'll give you an idea of how we quantify challenges. That's something we've been working on now for six years. Like we've had people dedicated to working on that for a very, very long time. Um, and again, I don't have anything I can show for that today. Um, I'm hoping sometime in the next couple of years that we've got something that we're, we can present and be really proud of. Um, but, but those are the type, types of hard things when I say really, really hard things that, that our guys are working on. Those are some of the hard things. So, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, very difficult, you know, slogs making a lot of different things work, a lot of games work, but, but when we look at where the big pinnacles are in terms of the technology peaks, those are the types of things our guys are shooting for right now. And, and, um, I know we'll get there. Um, it, it, it may be uh, a very, very long trip. But, but I know we'll get there. I guess uh, that's what you were kind of hinting at um, in your, your blog post about the, uh, the technology roadmap for Apple Silicon. 
I gotta say, I'm really it, enjoying it, your blog. <laughs> hey, I did. I just I just a new post today about my love for uh, video games and my love of the Steam Deck and and where I see that as a, a game changer. So uh, that's that's the newest. That's the that's the latest um, iteration of of the blog today. And and uh, there'll there'll be more as we as we keep kind of progressing down that path. Well, feel free to include us in your blog if you like. Uh, the, the oh, link absolutely. To the... <laughs> absolutely. Not a problem. Um, yeah, actually, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's really relevant, but uh, maybe, maybe it's since it's a kind mm-hmm. of a segue, I guess, to what you were talking about emulation. Um, so Chris and I, we were, um, we were actually. So I, I live in Florida, and so Chris actually flew down, and uh, and one of the things we wanted to work on, and and the, you know, this isn't anything commercial or anything like that, but one of the things was there's a, we've been working on these uh, retro computers for a while, and and specifically. Yeah with Mac power PC platform. So, you know, G4, G5, that kind of stuff. And uh, one of the challenges out there was that I wanted to play DOS games at full speed, you know, later (laughs) DOS games. I'm I'm not talking about like, like the 1980s DOS games. I'm I'm talking about, you know, Pentium 133 requirement kind of DOS games, uh, uh, such as, um, I don't know, Blood. That, that's one. Yep. Uh, Blood, Blood uh, is it's uh, it doesn't run great on PowerPC. Uh, if you use DOSBox, it just it just doesn't run great. Um, <clears throat> there is a person. His name is uh, oh man, I'm forgetting. Doctor Cameron Kaiser, I think he's the developer of something called uh, it's 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 DOSBox, but it's 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 more of a uh, he uses a just in time compiler, a JIT compiler on top of DOSBox. Correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. I'm, I might be totally butchering the story. Um, I don't think yeah. he came up with the patch, but he built, he implemented the patch and made a build of it. Okay, sure. I knew he was involved in, in some capacity, so thanks for thanks for that, Chris. And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to grab. There's a front end for 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 Mac that they were using for a while for DOSBox called Boxer. And what we wanted to do was we wanted to use a front end of Boxer, and again, it's that user experience. And then we wanted to, and Boxer has DOSBox working in in the back end. But the bad thing is, is that there is no version of DOSBox that just happens to have that uh, just-in-time and the JIT compiler, that compatibility uh, compiler, I mean, um, working on, uh, on, on the Boxer software itself. So you have, you have DOSBox with JIT, and then you have Boxer, and how do you merge that together? And that is something that uh, it's, it's not done yet, but, um, but we, were, we were working on it mostly – Chris was working on over there, uh, taking a look at the source code, looking at uh, what you were you were doing stuff in Xcode and everything, trying to take that whole thing apart. And the whole goal was to merge Boxer with that DOS Box version with JIT, and just you know to get that to get that perfect version of DOS Box out there uh, or Boxer for PowerPC users. Which there's not a lot, but there's some of us out there. <laughs> How much would we have to? Uh employ uh the exact exact mode uh, exact mode <laughs> people for to do that yeah we really want this going that, that, that's something those guys would find interesting i, I kind of looking at that technology problem and trying to merge your dos box into your into your boxer is probably not going to work but building a layer in between where you have essentially jit running um and and almost like a kind of a utility layer where it is helping to make the connectivity to both Boxer and to your DOS box, that that may be the 
the the play but but yeah that that those are the types of things that our our guys will sit and and look over and look over and look over for hours because they just find that so fascinating and, and to a certain degree I do too I just I'm not technically gifted to actually implement anything or write code for anything that's what those guys do but but conceptually I I could see where that would be potentially possible and and how that might have to be architected but yeah that that that's that's likely that's that's likely something our guys could probably kind of play around with. But I, I will tell you this: it's probably going to be a thousand times more satisfying for the two of you to actually get this to work on your for own. Sure. Oh yeah. When, when, once you once you actually see blood working, even a flicker, it's it's kind of like a bad game of golf. If you hit if your last shot's a good shot, you sink the putt. You'll go back and play another eighteen. You get a little flicker of your application running, kind of in the environment you want. You'll you'll put another 40 hours of time, effort, and energy and love into that to see if you can get it to work. The, uh, the just-in-time compiler actually does work, and it does show give you a four times performance increase, mm-hmm. but that's mm-hmm. in stock DOSBox. Trying to right. put that in yeah. Boxer that ran on OSX Leopard, you're taking a patch built for a version of DOSBox that is 10 years newer than the one that came out in that version of Boxer, and that the person that did Boxer... Um, implemented their own um, their own SDL framework and just trying to figure out how all that goes together and I've given up on it for the time being but maybe one day there's a thousand projects out there like that where someone has kind of compiled out of their own passion passion project and and it tried to make things work and they've got things to work and unfortunately what you see in almost those all those projects across the board is none of them are really scalable I mean, they work great for a specific use case, work great for a couple specific use cases, and then there's a very tight box as to what you're actually able to do with that. And and it's it's the the innovation piece that comes from trying to break through that box. Like once you can actually break through and take that and use it in a little different way, it's it's like Nirvana. You're just you're, you're the happiest person in the world. You've gotten you've gotten joy. Um, from from twisting something just enough to make it work for exactly what you want to do. So, I I wish you guys the very best with that. It sounds like a very interesting thing to be able to do. Thanks. Yeah, I, I knew it wasn't exactly you know it's it's not exactly wine related or anything, but yeah, you know, it's gaming and it's it's porting over and, and stuff. You know, we're trying to make something work on on Power PC. So, uh, yeah, and actually the but Power the PC community. Go ahead, James. I was going to say, but but that's ex- that's exactly how people end up in wine in the first place. Is they have something they want to make work, and they grab vanilla wine and they try to run a game or something, and, and they'll spend weeks, days, months trying to get something to work just the way they want it to. And and it's it's that joy you get from actually seeing it work that just just is unimaginable. That's just that's just the greatest thing in the world. And. That's the passion that, that a lot of our people have for technology and a lot of people also um, that we deal with have for technology. It's, it's the one common thread that kind of binds us all together is this incredible passion for, for technology, whether it's our specific little piece or the broad piece in general. I'm curious, um, has Crossover ever ran on any of the, the, the uh, BSDs? Yeah, it, it used to run on BSD a long time ago. So I've been with the company for 15 years. Probably we stopped supporting it 12, 13 years ago. But we did work on the BSDs kind of kind of, uh, uh, initially. Yeah, it, 
it, it was something there was a bigger demand for, obviously, you know, 10, 15 years ago than there is today. Um, but yeah, there's still some hobbyists out there that, that are still running that as kind of the, the, the their, their system of choice. So. And, and Chris, so you're using, definitely a non-zero number. Chris, you were using a, a, an older version of crossover. I mean, like of something Code Weaver's making, right? Like Code Weaver's oh, link yeah. or crossover, crossover plugin. Car- yeah. yeah. In the early 2000s. Yep, that predates me. That was one of the projects that was out before I even came on board. So it's over 15 years ago. Um, I think 2001, 2002, probably around that time, it was was the plugin that was one of the initial products. Had to watch my Apple live streaming events on Mandrake Linux somehow through QuickTime. So. <laughs> <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Well, I know we're running out of time. Um, James, it's been incredibly uh, fun and informative and great to have you uh, on our podcast. Um, you're, you're a man of many well, talents. I, 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 well, I don't know about many talents. I, I, I talk a good game, but thank you very much. It's been, this has been great. Um, I, I definitely enjoy talking to people like yourselves that have such uh, a passion for technology too. And, and as I'm sure your, your audience, at least three listeners does, uh, so, you know, all five, all, all six of us uh, will be enjoying this immensely. But, but no, I, I definitely appreciate the opportunity to come and talk technology with you guys. And uh, uh, please invite me back anytime you guys are bored or lonely or you need, uh, need some filler. <laughs> I'm, ha- I'm, happy to, I'm happy to do that as well, too. We'll, we'll um, invite you next time we're, we're tinkering around with React OS or some obscure OS. Oh, you know? <laughs> wow. When, um, when we are in a... Um, a cold, barren, sprawling dystopia because a new reality series that combines Game of Thrones with the Hunger Game that pits the Kardashians and their tribes against one another breaks the internet. Your words. Come find us. Yep. We'll, we'll try to shelter <laughs> yeah. you. I appreciate that. That Yes. And that, and that I do extend that shelter to the two of you. So when that does happen, and it will someday, please, by all means, you know, join, join our tribe. <laughs> Thank you, James. Thank you, James. And our, it was a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Yep. And uh, let me know if there's anything else you guys need. Um, and uh, if you can send us uh, a link to the, the podcast, uh, we'll make sure to post that uh, up on our website, too, so that uh, the multitude of users that come to our site will, will definitely have a chance to, to access it. It's very much appreciated. And I will be picking up a new copy of Crossover. Well, I will send you guys out each your own license to crossover. You don't have to worry about paying oh, for thank that. You so thank, much. You for oh, thank you so much. Thank you, James. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast. So, Thank you. Okay. Well, have a good evening. You too. Later. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.